feel free to go ahead and take a seat. What a wonderful Savior we truly do have. Before we uh, move forward with our, uh, our gathering this morning, we'll be in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and uh, just a little bit of time, a couple things we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about, though, before that. The first is that it is uh, Mr. Stefanski here, his 28th birthday. So can you please uh, tell, tell Josh happy birthday for me? Josh and I were supposed to play basketball later today. We played about a month ago, and he was talking all kinds of trash and everything. And then apparently he's hurt on his birthday, so I guess that's not going to happen. But that's okay. Got to give you guys a chance at some point. Uh-oh. Also, we hosted a wedding here on a Saturday night, and apparently my mic was broken. So we're just working out a few of the little kinks with this mic in between now and then. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, or one of them, is that we've been kind of looking forward to this day when we're going to have both Josh and Nate here. And so I shared a few weeks ago that we are hiring Nate full-time, and as of last Friday, uh, Nate has, has moved into his home with his, his family, and you'll hear from him in just a minute. But over the last, what is it, about a year and a half? Two years. Over two years. Over two years. So we had an issue come up about two years ago on a Friday with the guy that was going to lead worship. And Justin called me and said, hey, he can't lead worship on Sunday. I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? He goes, I know this guy, Josh. I want to send him up there. I'm like, okay. And that led to this really just pretty incredible two-year partnership that I've been so thankful for. Oh, man. Wasn't thankful for that. Shut it off. Oh, that was, that was Nate's fault. We, we might send him back and just keep Josh. I don't know yet. We'll find out by the end of this technical difficulties period. But it's been such a joy not only to have uh, Josh leading us on Sunday mornings, but just to get to know the, the person he is, to be along for part of his journey, and now being married. He's just been such a blessing and is going to continue to be. Josh will still be around from time to time, and we're thankful for that. But will you just... Uh, just thank Josh for me for the time that he's spent here with us this past few years. Thank you. Knowing uh, that, that we've had such a significant and just blessed time from Josh, I wanted to take the opportunity to spend just a little bit of time with Nate this morning. So obviously throughout the last month and, and sprinkled here and there over the last two really you've had the opportunity to hear from Nate and be led in worship by Nate but I want to give you an opportunity to just know briefly the person that that Nate is to hear a little bit about his family um, and the journey that we're going to be on together so would you mind kind of just sharing a little bit about your story your family and, and really why you're here yeah absolutely so I'm Nate Huss and I am historically the youngest of eight adopted children um I, uh, our family is a mixed bag of loads of uh, ethnicities. We basically look like a bag of Skittles. That's the best way I can explain it for people. Um, we've got five countries represented, and um, my parents were unable to have children, and um, my birth parents were unwanting of me as a child, and it was a perfect match. Um, and so had the opportunity to grow up in quite a wild, interesting, but fun home, um, a Christian home. And um, yeah, when you bring loads of cultures together, young children from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, I don't know how my parents stayed sane. 
through it, uh, there was a lot of chaos, a lot of brokenness that they had to navigate through um, as we journeyed through lives and into adulthood. Um, but I think I came out singing, um, annoying the trash out of all of my siblings and my parents from a very young age. Um, music has always been something that's been within me. And um, I remember the first time that I sang publicly was at my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. I was five years old. And I remember, uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool, um, saying Jesus loves me, which is, you know, the traditional first song I think every little boy sings that wants to be a singer. And um, yeah, fell in love with, with music and something that is, and as I've gotten older, have, have learned that there's something supernatural about music. I don't know if you've noticed it. If you go to a large concert, I don't care if it's ACDC Rolling Stones or a worship conference, there's a, a level of unity that sparks, and it can be a positive and a good unity, or it, it can be a unity that tastes a bit like death, um, unfortunately. And um, so growing up, um, I started um, having the opportunity to lead worship through high school, and uh, then went off to Northern Arizona University, and uh, ended up getting contacted by some, um, some great people in Nashville, and had the opportunity to, to leave and move to Nashville and sign a recording contract and began touring and traveling as a recording artist and um, got to spend some time with some incredible um, men and women in Nashville who some of you probably still listen to on the radio now um, who really invested in, in our lives and in my life. And um, at that time, I was still a bit of a loose cannon um, trying to figure out what this, this faith thing really was all about. I'd grown up in the church. I'd given my life to Jesus, um, had an incredible awakening my freshman year of, of college, but I was still really torn between this thing that maybe you, you're familiar with, institutionalism or institutional Christianity, and sometimes that divide between the entity and then this loving Savior named Jesus. And sometimes, um, like in the Bible, the, the Pharisees, we, we almost put religion before God. And so it becomes a blanket upon a blanket upon a blanket that we put over ourselves that actually create this separation between this incredible loving God. Um, and so uh, an incredible man named Joey Elwood, um, who, who owns a, a label in, in um, Nashville, Tennessee, um, bands like Reliant K, um, I could go on, but bands like that are on this label, and he and I went out to breakfast, and, and he just encouraged me. He said, man, I really, he said, I usually don't do this, but I, I have this word for you. I hope this isn't, like, inappropriate, and I'm like, no, go for it, and he said, I, I really feel like the Lord is calling you to take a season to submit under leadership and, and to really, you know, learn what it means to, like, fall in love with Jesus, basically, and I think sometimes we, we do that, right? We give our lives to the Lord. We're, we're willing to walk, but we haven't, there's more. We never hit, it's not a destination. It's a continual journey. And um, at the time, I'd been getting some phone calls about coming back to Phoenix to, to be a youth pastor and worship leader. And I kept telling these leaders, like, hell will have to freeze over before I move back to Phoenix. Literally three months later, my wife and I are packing our bags and moving back to Phoenix, which is how it always works when we, you know, it's like our Jonah moments. Um, 
when we tell God no, and he's like, but I've already ordained it, so it's probably going to happen. <laughs> and uh, so we moved back to Phoenix, and uh, we ended up going on, on staff at a really cool church down in Phoenix called Hope um, under a senior leader named Paul Sorensen. And that was an incredible season. Um, God ripped back immense, deep hurts and wounds that I had not dealt with, um, both through my childhood, adoption story, family um, dynamics, um, things that I had not faced, I had not navigated through. And, um, and so after four years, I, I decided to take a hard sabbatical and to step out of ministry completely and question everything. Um, and not in, a, not in a negative way, but in a true, like, who are you, God? Who have you called us to be? Who the heck am I? Why am I on this planet? You've taken me through some of the craziest brokenness things. And brokenness? Brokenness? That's not a word, but we're going to use it today. Um, the most broken situations. Why? What are you preparing? And um, about three years ago, God began to just bring person after person who began to really speak into my life. And at this time, I had put my guitar and my piano up um, and what had basically gone music silent, unintentionally gone to music fast. And at that point, music had really kind of become a little bit of an, of an idol. Um, it was like my second mistress. And um, I began to really depend on music for my identity and for my value. And so I put it away. I put my guitar in the closet, and I didn't touch it. And through this season, God brought so many incredible people who kept giving me the same word, but like in different phrases. But basically, essentially, like God has birthed things within us that he wants to ignite and raise up. And the enemy will do anything in his power to squelch it, to put it in, to paraphrase it. And um, so a couple years go by, and about a year ago, God just floored me. Um, I was sitting out, I was really sick, sitting on my back patio um, at 5.30 in the morning. Couldn't sleep, I'd been up the night before, um, giving back what I had eaten the day before. And um, God crushed me. Um, and he just peeled back this layer. Um, I don't have social media anymore. This was, it was basically the last week that I had social media, but I opened up Facebook and a, a good friend of mine who lives in Nashville, he and his wife had just gone through a devastating loss. Um, they had been pregnant with their second child. They'd been trying for a couple of years. And um, after they finally did the big announcement, um, about a week later, she, she lost the baby and they were devastated. And um, he's a worship pastor as well. And so, they were going to like this this night of worship and they could not understand they could not they were watching people worship in awe of this god who is so good and so gracious and they were standing in the back of the room saying how why what god why would you allow this to happen and i think we all have that question but through the midst of that storm and through the midst of that um of them singing and unifying it was the body unifying with one voice and what we don't realize is Oftentimes, when we come in the space and we don't feel like singing because we're broken and we're hurting, it's sometimes the unity of the voices around you that begins to build faith within you. And through that night, the body began to build faith within them. And God did something really miraculous in their lives. About a month and a half later, they got pregnant again, and, and now they've 
got their second child, which is really a really, really cool story. Um, but while, so basically they were sharing this testimony in front of their church. Um, and he doesn't lead worship at the church that they attend. He goes and serves during the week at a church, just a small town church a couple hours away. He drives there for free and just serves for them and then comes back. It's a really cool um, thing that he's doing and they're sharing this testimony. And he, he shares this moment where he, he dives in deep about the seed. That oftentimes we want to point our finger and we want to blame God for things that have happened we get angry at God for devastating moments, but God did not ordain those things. God created the earth and all that it's in it, and he said it was good. But then we have this enemy this, that's, that's roaming around seeking whom he can devour. He really wants to crush and destroy us. He wants to break us down, our spirit. And oftentimes when we get angry at God, we forget that God is also, he's the one who's fighting our battles. And when we learn to come in alignment with him, and we give him that authority, he's able to take back the territory that we're relinquishing in those moments. And we don't always understand the broken things that we go through. I'll never be able to articulate the things that I've been um, unfortunate to experience in my life. But God's grace is bigger than we can comprehend. And he finished by saying, there's a seed that's birthed within each of us. Each one of you, each one of us has a seed that is birthed within you. God has placed from the foundations of the earth. It says he knew us, he knit us together. And that seed is that purpose, who we are, who he's identified us to be. Our identity is in him and what he's birthed us to be. And the enemy will do anything in his power to squelch that. And that day, God ripped back the, level, the layers for me. It was like, for the first time, there was this beautiful separation of recognition that we are the church, but we're broken and we're smelly and we stink and we're sheep and we bite and we poop and we do weird stuff, right? But we're, we're created beautiful. And, and I don't have to fear that. I get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. But we're not the end results. We're nothing without the center who's Jesus Christ. And I've had the opportunity to travel and, and sing in front of, in big venues and doing crazy stuff, but there's nothing, there is nothing, and there's nothing more powerful when it comes to music than the body of Christ gathered together with one voice, giving honor and glory. Because when we sing, whether we feel like it or not, we don't sing because we feel like it. We're commanded to. We're commanded to sing. Make a joyful noise. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. It doesn't mean you sound good. You can sound like a honking horn. It's totally fine. But we're called to make a joyful noise. We're called to sing together songs and spiritual songs to encourage, to uplift, to empower each other. So we sing not for ourselves, but we sing because we're a part of a family and a family has responsibilities like someone's got to take the trash out or someone's got to rake up the leaves. We're, we're a body, we're a family. And so we sing, we sing to encourage each other. So when you walk in on a morning and you don't feel like singing, unfortunately, I feel bad saying that. Well, I don't really feel bad saying this. I kind of do, but it's not about you. It's not about me. And there are moments you'll see that I'll step away from the microphone. I'm not doing it because I forgot the lyrics. It's because it's not about me. Like, my voice needs to go away because it's about the body singing as one, unified. 
And I want to get out of the way as much as possible because it's about us as a family, as a community. And um, God has gifted me with an incredible wife. I have a, a wife, we'll be 12 years married in November. Um, I have three beautiful daughters, our two beautiful daughters and a son. Sorry, Elliot. Oh, man. Um, they'll, and they'll be, I'm sure you guys will see them around. They'll be here second service, so you might see them as you're going. They'll be probably coming in. Um, God has gifted me, and one of the greatest lenses of his grace has been my wife and the power of unity. And so um, why am I here? Why I'm honored to be here. Thank you for allowing me. But my goal is to get us as a community to learn what it means to be unified as one, whether that's in song, whether that's in eating a meal, playing a game, going camping together, whatever it may be, learning what it means to be unified as one. Because without that, without that unity, all of this is meaningless. If we're just showing up for a show, we've missed the mark. God is so much bigger. He has so much more in store. And it's our opportunity to participate and be a part of that. Thank you, Nate. I'm pretty sure I don't really need to do a sermon now. We're good. That was set. You should have given me the week off. Um, I really appreciate your time, and we're so thankful for the opportunity to be collaborating with you, to be worshiping alongside of you, and on this journey as we follow Jesus through the broken and beautiful. So thanks for being with us. Briefly, before we get into Romans 12, 2, I'm going to try to keep it brief, and then I promise I will keep my actual sermon, cut it in half. Um, a quick financial update for you. So if you've been with us for a year or two, we have been through a lot together. And I, I oftentimes say that the, the quality of a relationship is really determined by paying the currency of relationships, which I think comes in the form of a few things, time, vulnerability, and listening. And so a lot of us have been through a lot together that expedites um, a quality of relationship, a faithfulness, a togetherness, a unity as we've been through highs and we've been through lows, we've celebrated, we've mourned, and I think God has a lot planned for us here in the future. So here's a just... I'm going to start kind of an update of where we're at as a, a church family just from a financial perspective. So you can see it through that lens, and then I'll explain some of it. We good? Should I just use a handheld? Because I can. Okay. If you will bring me one, I will use it. <laughs> Jason, will you just shut this off? Because I don't even know how to shut this mic off. All right, we'll go with this. So these numbers are going to be through August because I didn't get September's until yesterday, and I was attempting to keep a Sabbath, so I don't have September's numbers, though I kind of know them. So contributions and income for the, the church through August, so a combination of, of your generosity as well as utilizing and stewarding this building to bring in additional income through August was $272,000. Our annual need is $342,000, and I'll explain what all that entails in just a minute. And so just to break it down kind of simply from a percentage standpoint, 66% through the year, so through August, we're already at 79.5% of our annual need. So that's fantastic. Um, that's really encouraging to see God's faithfulness and your faithfulness and, and just the generosity of God's people. 
to kind of break it down a little bit further, as you kind of just look, look around the room and picture a Sunday and our, our eight communities that meet together, the, the monthly need to get to that 342,000 mark is 28,500. Um, so just to, to give you a little bit of perspective on that, and it's encouraging to know that, that we're ahead of the game uh, this year. And so God is generous and faithful in that midst. In August and September, I don't have the, or excuse me, I know I do have August, but not September's. We were just under this mark. We were under it a little bit, the 28,500. Uh, for October so far, I believe up to today, we're right on track uh, to reach that. Now, there's some of you that are very generous in here and have really pushed for that to happen. And so thank you for that. And really what I want you to hear from me on this next is what, is, what does this actually mean? Why does this matter? Why do I share this with you? Well, as Nate said, I really believe a church is a family. It's a family of people journeying together through both, both broken and beautiful because that's what life is. And sometimes we take care of and communicate through family business. And so I want you to know a, a little bit of where that money breakdown goes to. So first of all, since we just talked about Nate, your generosity has allowed for Nate and his family to join us. Uh, to experience his, his leadership and wisdom and guidance as we seek to be unified, worshiping our Savior. And that's something I'm really thankful to have, this, this partnership and collaboration moving forward. I think of Whitney and the job that she's done here in this church, not just on Sundays, where on a weekly basis, our kids are presented with the gospel, with knowledge of the scriptures, are connected with mentors and, and deep relationships that probably will have a lasting impact into the adult years. Not only does, does Whitney do that and you've provided that opportunity for her, but I think of story time throughout the summer. We're both in the studio in one of our classrooms. There's over 20 kids frequently, sometimes 30. Some Christians, some not. Some are part of our church. Some just a part of the city that came to be together, to have community, to experience life that was given through Whitney and through you. That was just a gift from us to the church, excuse me, to the community that you made possible. Whitney's been on maternity leave, although she's always kind of been only halfway on maternity leave because she can't not work. She's coming back, though, in uh, about two weeks, and so we've been meeting and met this week, and it was so encouraging. Now that the studio, the room in the back is done, I'm hearing about her vision for especially the elementary age students that we've not really had the opportunity to to pour into as much as we'd like to. And her new vision for that in the coming year is really exciting and encouraging. And if you have uh, elementary age kids, you'll be hearing from Whitney soon about that. But your gener generosity has led to that, that opportunity to happen. Most of you probably don't know Jed because he is quiet and is a servant and lives behind the scenes. But Jed takes care of this building and our facilities. He maintains it. He's the one that renovated the studio, uh, which actually was used recently for Christian Family Care's uh, staff meeting. It's a, a foster and adoption agency, and we were able to provide that space to them for free, and that led to another opportunity. So on December 13th, in this building, we'll clear out all of our stuff. We'll provide this space for Christian Family Care to host their Christmas party, and it's not for their staff. It's for the foster families and their organization. And so there's going to be 30 to 50, uh, somewhere in that range, foster families, both biological and foster or adopted children, in this room celebrating Christmas, celebrating Jesus, celebrating broken stories becoming beautiful because of one name. And your generosity is going to allow this space to be used for them to celebrate our king. That's beautiful. 
On top of that, we'll be asking you, and hopefully you'll be saying yes, in uh, December when they, they come, we're just offering to say, hey, whatever you need in terms of volunteers, we want to we take care of it. Uh, whatever needs happen with food or serving or cleaning or games or whatever it is to make that in a, just a beautiful party, we want to do that. And so your generosity is allowing for those opportunities. Also, we aim for about 10% is, is the goal. Sometimes we put some in savings until the right opportunities come along. 10% of the contributions that come in to be given away towards outward focus. So you heard from Sky last week, if you were with us, and she's currently out of the country scouting on a trip um, to connect the, the local college students here, primarily from Embry-Riddle, to go on this trip to work against sexual exploitation and abuse. And there's the seeking of human flourishing. There's this acknowledgement that humanity is made in God's image and there's a value and Sky's working against that and your generosity is supported. Not only that, she's chosen and you've freed her up to a degree to live with, walk with, breathe with, cry with, laugh with college students in this area year after year and they're able to follow Sky as Sky follows Jesus and she's really good at it. And the reality is as they go into their careers and, and build families and in the next decades, they're going to have this foundation of Christ through Sky and partially through you. I think of Bot Beautifully is another organization that we've partnered with, and Colin and Emily Betzler lead Bot Beautifully. And last year alone, they provided 6,148 days of dignified employment. And you might go, what in the world is dignified employment? Well, undignified employment is employment by means that we don't even want to talk about, that we're ashamed of, but that exists in our world. And Bot Beautifully is fighting against that in incredible ways. Not only are they fighting against injustice, but they're raising up people in the image of God and saying, here is opportunity to create, to cultivate, to be like our God. And so Bot Beautifully is doing an incredible job with their partners, with connecting with people here in the United States. They'll be back in December. You'll be hearing a lot from them, but I love their work and you're contributing to allowing not only that to happen, but for that to grow. I think we'll have 2019's numbers from them within a few months, and, and I have no doubt it's gonna grow from 6,000, maybe to 10,000 days of dignified employment. And when you start thinking about lives instead of statistics, that is a beautiful impact. That's broken stories becoming beautiful. So in a nutshell, what I want you to know is that our God is faithful. Our God is good. And it is a blessing to be on this journey together. I think the future is really bright as you look at the different ways and people and ideas that God has brought together here. And I'm excited to, to continue to be on that, that journey together. If you have any questions on that, if you want to talk about it, please feel free to come up to me. And I'd love to uh, help you understand anything you might want to. With that said, I promised I will be short, and I will. Romans 12, chapter 2. But let me pray first. Father, you are good, you are mighty, you are glorious, you alone are worthy of being praised. Father, we submit to you and we look to you because our lives are better off in your hands than ours, because you love us. God, I ask that you would overwhelm us with your goodness, with how trustworthy you are, with how faithful you are. Shape and form and mold us into the men and women you've created us to be. And may we put your love and your story and your kingdom that is coming on display for the world to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12.2. To set the, the stage for Romans 12.2, I've had this, this image, this picture, this setting in my head this week, and it's of a, a little 
12-year-old girl entering into a middle school for the first time after just having moved across the country. And it's maybe day five of school in this experience, and she walks into the halls of this middle school that smells like a middle school hall, which is not great. And she hears the, the sounds of, of kids sprinting up and down the halls, bumping into into each other and, and teachers scolding boys for throwing things and hitting each other of lockers opening and closing and books dropping and there's this environment this rhythm this this music of life that's going on in this hallway there's a there's a way of life and, and the reality is there's different people groups in that hallway in this middle school that she's just entering into you've got your popular kids are the ones that think they are, and the athletes, and the actors, and the drama students, and the musicians, and every other category you could possibly come up with. And they all think they're different, a part of something unique. But the reality is, they all fit into this one bubble of that hallway and that school. There's an energy, a unity, a way of life. And whether they really recognize it or not, or want to or not, they're in the midst of that way of life. They belong to it. They fit in it. But this 12-year-old doesn't yet. She doesn't talk the same way, think the same way, move at the same pace, know where to go. The conversations are different. But she desperately wants to fit into that. And so we can look in at this little 12-year-old and you can remember those days and we can go, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You don't have to, to talk that way. You don't have to accept this. And you really don't need to wear that. And it's easy for us to do so from this perspective beyond. But eventually she will conform and she will look the part. And, and what's interesting about this is that we think we're different as adults, that we've grown past this pressure, that we don't any longer just conform to the shape of the world around us, to its heartbeat and lifestyle and rhythms and values, but we do. It's just not isolated to a hallway in middle school. It's on a much larger scale in our world. And the reality as we look at Genesis 1 and 2 is that we were actually created, I believe. We were made to conform. But, but the world that we were made to conform to was perfect and it was led by Jesus and it was full of love and generosity and hospitality and collaboration and creation and everything that is good. And we were created to conform to, to take on the shape of that world where Jesus was the sole definer of what is good. Now here's the problem. We still conform because it's part of our identity. We still take the shape of the world around us, but Jesus is no longer the sole definer of what is good. There are other voices and powers and principalities that influence us a ways away excuse me, from God's intent. And in the same way that we might look at this 12-year-old and say, no, you don't have to do that or be this way or do that thing. Jesus looks at us in the midst of our conforming to this world and its ways and its patterns that are against his. And he goes, stop, please. You just, you don't understand. You don't have to do this. You might not even realize you are, but there's something better. That is not what you were made for. That's buying into the lie that only takes life and doesn't give life. But eventually... And often without knowing, we conform. And it's in that setting, in this moment, that is very much our moment, that Romans 12, 2 becomes, I think, extremely practical. It says this, 
I'll miss starting verse 1, actually. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed. The first thing that we recognize as we kind of start to, to break down the wording and the, the phrases in this passage is this. It says, do not be conformed. And the verbs and the tenses matter here. Often what we do is we go, okay, I'm the one that's responsible for what I conform to. But what does the language say? Do not be conformed. There is an outside force conforming you. You don't conform yourself. I think we like to, especially in this day and age, think that we function more like a solid than a liquid. That in and of ourselves, we stand up and hold our own shape and identity. But the reality is we function much more like a liquid. We take the shape of the container within that we're around. And so we take the shape of our culture, of our moment, of the value systems, of who defines what is good. And it is more than just Jesus. Do not be conformed. To what? To the patterns of this age. So what is this age? I said it earlier, but I think there's, there's two simple ways to define it. One is it's an age in which someone other than Jesus is defining what is good and leading. And anytime that is happening, it's bad. Because nobody except for Jesus is trustworthy always. Another picture to, to maybe think through this lens of what is this age is of posture. There's a posture in our culture, in our moment, in our age of grasping versus giving. And posture means it's kind of a state of being. That's where you sit. You rest. That's the natural way of thinking and living and acting. And so there's a posture where we are seeking to gain and grab a hold of instead of giving. And I think that characterizes the age in which we are in. Do not be conformed to this age, but rather be transformed. Again, the verbs in the tense matters here. Be transformed, not transform yourself, but be transformed. The root word here is the, the same root word for the, the word metamorphosis. You think of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. There's a dramatic change in what is happening as we are transformed, not by our doing, but by Christ's. It's kind of like heart surgery. None of us could perform our own heart surgery. In fact, the best heart surgeon in all of the world cannot with his own hands and eyes and ears and abilities perform his own heart surgery. He might have all, all the tools and equipment and knowledge, but he can't do it for himself. And it's the same when it comes to transformation. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this age, but be transformed. Titus 3.8 explains this to us. Titus chapter 3, 3-8 three says this, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another, in one word, conformed. But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that transforms and renews. 
He poured out this spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Like a heart surgery, we can't do it ourselves. Transformation happens through the Spirit. We continue, and it says, You therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. This, too, is not done by ourselves. I think of this almost like physical therapy. You have to show up to the appointment, drive your car, walk, whatever it is, and show up. And then the physical therapist leads you or or assistance in exercises and care and healing to restore what was to be. It's the same way with the renewing of our minds. You cannot do it in and of yourself because we live in the pattern of this age. But the spirit renews. And our job is simply to show up for the appointment. So that begs the question, what does that actually look like? That sounds easy in theory. How do we actually show up for this appointment? To not be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I'll close us with, I think, five ideas of how we can show up to the appointment. The first is this, make space for the spirit. Make space for the spirit. Just like any relationship, our relationship with the Spirit, with God, is a relationship. And it takes time and space and communication. In any relationship you have, whether that's with a spouse, a friend, or anybody, if there's not space for that relationship to exist and grow and thrive and flourish, it simply won't. And so we have to make space and opportunity for the Spirit to work. We recognize we're not the ones that transform ourselves or renew our own minds. The Spirit is but we're responsible to show up for the appointment. A second thing we can do is practice putting on the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, I'm going to read, explains this for us. Here's what it says. Make your own attitude or mind, depending on the translation, that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, The NIV says, to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the ways that we show up to the appointment is by reflecting on the mind of Christ and putting on the mind of Christ. And again, it can be characterized as the inverse of this age. That sounds a whole lot like a posture of giving, Though he is God, he came down to be like us and to give himself versus grasping. So then we ask, what allows Jesus to give instead of grasp? And it's simply the love of the Father. The love of the Father was abundant and full and perfect, and Jesus needed nothing, and so he gives freely. And this is the type of generosity and love that we too are called to. 
Another way to think about putting the mind of Christ on is to assess in any moment with anything or action or decision, how would Jesus handle this moment? What would Jesus' posture towards it be? And I'll, I'll offer a few kind of filters you can, can use. One option is Jesus would condemn it. There are moments, many moments, when Jesus clearly condemns something, as in says, there is nothing good about this. There will be nothing good born of it. It is only bad and evil all the time. You can think of pornography. It fully should be condemned. There's nothing good that will ever come from it. Sometimes Jesus condemns. In the end of Romans 12, too, we read that we're not to be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will know and discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Sometimes that's condemnation. The second option is critique. This is used when, when something is probably both good and bad. You think of innovation in humanity's history, and it's beautiful sometimes, and it's incredibly broken others. And so sometimes it's critique to assess what. You think of alcohol and, and Jesus' approach. He makes the best wine at a wedding to celebrate what is good, and then he also speaks clearly against drunkenness and the abuse and foolishness and devastation that it can cause. A third option is to consume. This is the fruit of God's original command to cultivate, to make something good. Whether that's a, a beautiful song to be consumed with our ears, a delicious meal, a, a wonderful architecture, relationships, communities, things that are created that are good, sometimes Jesus consumed and gave thanks, which leads us to our last, to celebrate. Sometimes Jesus' response was to celebrate, as in with the wedding, celebrating the union of a man and a woman and this part of God's intent. So sometimes we can stop and ask, what is Jesus' response in this moment? Now where we can have danger, I love how Andy Crouch states this for us, is if any of these gestures, sometimes a moment, a gesture of condemnation is needed, or a moment or gesture of critique or, or consumption or celebration is needed, but if that becomes your posture, that's where we might have issues. If that's where we rest, so you are known as simply condemning, which many Christians are, that's an issue because that's not all Jesus did, nor what he did most of the time. If all you do is celebrate everything, that's not all Jesus did because there's some things that need to be condemned. If all you do is critique, that's not what Jesus did. If all you do is consume, that's not what Jesus did. There needs to be balance with our gestures, but they're not to become postures. Our postures to be giving instead of grasping. Third, we're called to meditate on his word. We believe that this, the words in this book are actually alive and moving and active. I want to read as we almost come to a close the rest of Romans 12 because I think it's so powerful. We read this. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. You see a pattern. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service and service, if teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. 
cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. The fourth way we show up to the appointment is you just ask. You just ask God to show up and to do his work. I think or can think of no better way than David's prayer. God created in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I don't even know how to pray without starting there because my heart is not going to be led in the right direction. God, create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit within me. The last way we show up to the appointment is community. Nate summarized this so well a few minutes ago. There's unity in the body of Christ. You are united with Christ and the spirit is in you transforming you into the image that God created us to be, to be human the way we were made to be. And so one of the ways that God works most powerfully is actually through each other. This is the need of the church. This is the need for community. Henry Nguyen puts it this way, that, that offers helpful perspective. There's a twilight zone in our hearts that we ourselves cannot see, even when we know quite a lot about ourselves, our gifts and weaknesses, our ambitions and aspirations, our motives and our drives, Large parts of ourselves remain in the shadow of our unconsciousness, or of our consciousness. We need the spirit to renew, and we need each other to be the mirror held up as God leads and transforms. In conclusion, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, because somebody else is trying to define what is good, and it only leads to bad. But rather, be transformed, not in... And of yourself, not of your own work, but by the renewing of your mind through the Spirit, then you'll be able to discern what is the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God. And it is that. Sometimes it's hard to know. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't make sense. We ask questions. But it's in those moments that we know God is faithful. It's in those moments when it doesn't feel right that we go, God is good. And our lives are better off in his hands than ours. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to feel what you want us to feel. God, protect us from taking the shape of anything but what you want us to take the shape of shape, form, and mold us to be human the way you've made us to be and saved us to be and are sustaining us to be. Father, we submit our lives to you open-handedly knowing that our lives are way better off in your hands than in our own. May we as a church body, as a family, Father, go out from this place today and not cease to be the church, but really start being the church by being a preview of your coming kingdom 
of your grace and your mercy and your abounding love and faithfulness. May the world around see that only you can bring the peace that we long for and need and we're made for. We seek you. We thank you that you love us. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new with us, we at Restoration Church uh, continue our worship and response every week, and we do so in three ways. The first is through reflection. So take a couple moments to reflect on the difference between being conformed and being transformed on the mind of Christ and how to let him transform us, how to let him renew our minds. We also worship in response by taking communion. And in communion, more than anything else, we recognize that we are being transformed by the work of Christ that has already been done, that he has risen again and conquered sin and Satan and death, and that he's coming again. And so as we take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we internalize it, you are united with Christ and he is the one doing the work. All we have to do is show up for the appointment. And then lastly, we give out of generosity because so much has been given to us all that we can imagine and more in Christ. Sometimes we don't understand it, but your life has been given to you freely from him. And so we give in response, seeking a posture of generosity. Let's continue to worship now in our response.